Father, we thank you that we can come before you this morning knowing that you are faithful, that you are a miracle worker, you're a promise keeper. Father, that you meet us in our, in our very need, God, wherever we're at. So, Father, as, as your church body, as your people this morning, we just come before you. And, God, we just bring the things that may be weighing on us this morning. And, God, we say we surrender those things to you. And we thank you that you are a promise keeper. You are faithful, faithful God. So this morning, God, we come, we bring those things, and we just say we love you. God, we ask that you would just move in our hearts. God, do what you need to do in us. God, that you would tweak things inside of us. God, that our hearts would be more in tune with your spirit and with your voice. So, Father, help us this morning, God, as we hear your word spoken to us. God, that you would speak to us. God, that we would be a changed people this morning because we've met with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. We honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go on with Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 20. So last week we talked about the complaining frenzy. You had a divided kingdom, Judah and Israel. You had uh, distrust, you had anger, you had resentment. And David begins to try to unite the two kingdoms by finding common ground, by reaching across the aisle and being inclusive and having Amasa replace uh, Joab as the commander of the army. David was trying to set the example of the steps that need to be taken to bring the two nations together. Um, he forgave, he reconciled, and he showed compassion. And if you're ever trying to mend a bridge, a broken bridge, a broken relationship, you've got to have forgiveness, you've got to have reconciliation on those things that you can't find an answer to or it's a stalemate and you can't find the right and the wrong from the two sides and you just have to come to a place where you recognize that the relationship is more important than the harm that has been done than the pain that has been inflicted and so uh, marriages often have got to come to that. Families have got to come to that, perhaps from time to time. Uh, relationships in business, relationships with friends. You just got to come to the place where you say, our family means more than the harm that has been inflicted on each other. So let's lay those aside and let's just, let's just unite and let's move along. And so David is doing that. But David had to have been frustrated because what he finds is nothing but a complaining frenzy and his actions and his desires are overlooked. And I'm sure it was hugely frustrating for David. I've got a video today that I think pretty well describes a frustrating leader. Let's look at this. Look at the coach here on the bottom. <laughs> Let's watch that again. Look at the leader. There's the coach. He's saying, no, no, don't go there. Ah! Watch him. Watch what he does. He throws his hat. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's how David felt. So the two tribes are at each other. The men of Judah speak harshly to the Israelites, and the Israelites are just, they, they just believe they have been treated unfairly. So we begin in verse 20. There happened to be a troublemaker there named Sheba, son of Bichri, a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Sheba blew a ram's horn and began to chant, down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Come on, you men of Israel, back to your homes. That's a dangerous position to take. Down with the dynasty of David. Think all about what that means. In Genesis 12, God told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, and through his descendants, all the world would be blessed. We know that the Messiah was promised to come through the family line of David. So when Sheba stands up and blows that ram's horn and begins to chant, down with the dynasty of David, he was in dangerous territory. I, I believe he doesn't fully recognize the territory he's in, but he is definitely causing a dangerous problem here, a dangerous situation. It says in verse 2, So all the men of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed with their king and escorted him from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. So definitely you've got a clear division. If you were with Judah, you were one way. If you were with Israel, you went another way. And there was a complete divide. It was a Hatfield and McCoy's division right down the state line between Kentucky and West Virginia. It was just like we see today in our government, Democrats and Republicans. Absolutely, there's a clear, drawn line. And today, we're in a situation in our government where if either side has a good idea, it's going to be fought tooth and toenail because it didn't come from the other side. And that's the kind of situation you have here, and it's a dangerous place to be in. It says so, verse 3, When David came to his palace at Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to look after the palace and placed them in seclusion. Their needs were provided for, but no longer slept with them. So each of them lived like a widow until she died. Interesting course of events here. I'm sure that he is full aware of what took place. When Absalom came into, the, into Jerusalem and he had control of Jerusalem, he was advised that the first thing he do, should do is have sexual relations with all the concubines, all of his dad's concubines. And that would, that would be a clear announcement that the division was definitely in place. Then the king told Amasa. Now remember, Amasa takes, takes Joab's place, and he's the commander of the army. Mobilize the army of Judah within three days and report back at that time. So Amasa went out to notify Judah, but it took him longer than the time he had been given. So Amasa wasn't on board. He wasn't on board with David's rule. He wasn't on board with what was taking place. And he was delaying being the king or the, the commander of 
the army of Judah. Then David said to Abishai, Sheba son of Bichri is going to hurt us more than Absalom did. Quick, take my troops and chase after him before he gets into a fortified town where we can't reach him. So Abishai and Joab, and so Joab is now back in the picture, and he's back in the picture because Amasa was not on board. He didn't mobilize the troops. And so Abishai and Joab, together with the king's bodyguard and all the mighty warriors, set out from Jerusalem to go after Sheba. As they arrived at the great stone in Gibeon, Amasa met them. Joab was wearing his military tunic with a dagger strapped to his belt. As he stepped forward to greet Amasa, he slipped the dagger from its sheath. How are you my cousin, Joab said, and took him by the beard with his right hand as though he was going to kiss him. Amasa didn't notice the dagger in his left hand, and Joab stabbed him in the stomach with it so that his insides gushed out onto the ground. Joab did not need to strike again, and Amasa soon died. Joab and his brother Abishai left him lying there and continued after Sheba. It gets worse. One of Joab's young men shouted to Amasa's troops, If you are for Joab and David, come and follow Joab. But Amasa lay in his blood in the middle of the road, and Joab's man saw that everyone was stopping to stare at him. So he pulled him off the road into a field and threw a cloak over him. When Amasa's body out of the way, everyone went on with Joab to capture Sheba, son of Bichri. Meanwhile, Sheba traveled throughout all the tribes of Israel and eventually came to the town of Abel Beth Makkah. All the members of his own clan, the Bichrites, assembled for battle and followed him into the town. When Joab's forces arrived, they attacked Abel Beth Makkah. They built a siege ramp against the town's fortifications and began battering down the wall. But a wise woman in the town called out to Joab. Listen to me, Joab. Come over here so I can talk to you. As he approached, the woman said, Are you Joab? I am, he replied. So she said, Listen carefully to your servant. I'm listening, he said. Then she continued, There used to be a saying, If you want to settle an argument, ask advice at the town of Abel. I am one who is peace-loving and faithful in Israel, but you are destroying an important town in Israel. Why do you want to devour what belongs to the Lord? And Joab replied, Believe me, I don't want to devour or destroy your town. That's not my purpose. All I want is a man named Sheba, son of Bichri, from the hill country of Ephraim, who has revolted against King David. If you hand over this one man to me, I will leave the town in peace. All right, the woman replied, We will throw his head over the wall to you. Then the woman went to all the people and her wise advice, and they cut off Sheba's head and threw it out to Joab. 
So he blew the ram's horn and called his troops back from the attack. They all returned to their homes, and Joab returned to the king of Jerusalem. Now, Joab was the commander of the army of Israel. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. Adoram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ehud, was the royal historian. Sheba was the court secretary. Sadak and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, a descendant of Jer, was David's personal priest. So there you have a bloody story. You have a story that takes place as the result of people being divided. People thinking they know what's right. And it comes from an environment or a platform of complaining. Now, in verse 1, there happened to be a troublemaker there named Sheba, son of Bichri, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, Sheba blew a ram's horn. He did that, of course, to get their attention, and he began the chant. Down with the dynasty of David. Literally what he's saying is, we want nothing to do with the plan of God for the salvation of the world. That's exactly what they're chanting. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. God's plans, God's ways are not for us. We know better. He says, come on, you men of Israel, back to your homes. It was in an environment of complaining that gave Sheba a platform. Now, the Bible forbids us from complaining. The Bible doesn't want us worrying. The Bible gives us things to do. Instead of complaining about life, instead of complaining about the way things are, we need to turn to the ways of God we need to turn to faith. That was an interesting story Philip shared this morning about him and Luke. Now, Luke could have spent all day long griping about the situation in his toe, or he could have turned to God in a metaphoric way, of course. When God's people are divided, it is an opportunity for Satan to tempt them to move away from what matters most. When God's people complain, there are lost opportunities for people to honor, for people to be open and accept Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Think about your past. Think about what you remember. Think about your days. Have, have you been through a complaining frenzy? Have you been through a complaining frenzy among the brothers and sisters of the Lord? among your family of faith, a complaining frenzy. They're complaining about this or that, the other. People get distracted from what matters most. And instead of spending their time and their energy focusing on what matters most, would of course would be the plan of God for people's well-being, the plan of God for salvation. They spend their time complaining, and it takes them away in time and effort from what really matters, and their focus is off. And it's in those environments that people can find a platform, as Sheba did in this particular case. Sheba allowed the perceived treatment of his people. He lost sight of the promises of God and the great plan that God had 
for the world. Happens today. There's no way anyone could ever answer this, but I think it's a good question that we need to ask ourselves. How many people have not come to faith in Christ because they were caught up in a complaining frenzy? Maybe perhaps they themselves were not caught up in the complaining frenzy, but the people that were aware of the good news, the people were, they were the people of the good news, they were in a complaining frenzy, and these people who did not have a relationship with Christ, they are influenced away from considering the things of Christ because of the complaining frenzy of the family of faith. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't want anything to do with the Bible. Why is that? Because I've known some Christians. I don't want the life they have. I don't want to be like them. And they turn away from the possibility of the things of the Lord because of the complaining frenzy that overwhelms the people of faith. I mean, if you're a casual, you know, outsider observing this situation here and you are influenced only by the people of Israel in this particular case, you probably would lose heart about the things of God. I just wonder how many people are apart from God today because their parents griped and complained all the time and they were the closest people to them to be people of faith. And they perhaps would sing the songs. They would have to talk the talk. They perhaps would talk about the morality of Christianity. But their heart was far from God. And it was far from God. And the result was a complaining frenzy was going on. Now, something else we see here in verse 2. It says, So all the men of Israel deserted David and followed, the, followed Sheba, son of Bichri. Now, the people are following the thoughts of a man rather than the thoughts, ways, and truth of God. Boy, we sure live in a time like that today. People's thoughts are honored more than God's thoughts. People's truth is honored more than God's truth today. Just think about that for a moment with the social media with the advice that's thrown out there, with the, with the ideas that are thrown out, with, with the concepts that people have about how things really should be. If God were truly God, there wouldn't be all these problems in the world. Those are man's thoughts, not God's. If God was truly God, there wouldn't be these kind of problems in the world. Those are man's thoughts, not God's. There's no way in the world, if God was God, that he would be so intolerant of everyone's choices in life. Those are the thoughts of man, not the thoughts of God. There is no real right or wrong. It's your truth. And if you're okay with your truth, if you're okay with what you think is right and what you think is wrong, that's your right to do so. And no one else has any reason or any right to be able to hold over to you a higher standard or a different standard than, than what you believe in. Those are man's thoughts. Those are not the thoughts of God. And, and that's what you have here with Sheba. There, he has thoughts. 
He believes that Israel has been uh, overlooked. He does not consider what David the king is trying to bring about and bring together, and he leads the people astray. Now David says in verse 6 that what's going on here with Sheba is more dangerous than what was taking place with Absalom. And he's right. Because spiritual death is worse than physical death. And that's what Sheba is leading the people to embrace. Spiritual death. No salvation no Messiah, no plan of God, our ways, what we think is right. We have been mistreated, so we are going to do our own thing. That takes them away from the plan of God that he would give us Jesus through the family of David, and he would be the Messiah. And so Sheba is leading the people to lose sight of the gospel, of the gospel. Bad theology. Real bad theology. There's lots of bad theology in our world today. Today, a majority of people believe that you are saved through works. Not true. For by grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. Jesus said that people do not become right with God through human achievement. It's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. People follow bad theology today. People follow theologies that make sense to them. Well, I'll be the first to admit that if you're talking about strictly human reason, the death of Jesus for all people lacks sense from a human point of view. But we have to elevate that and take on faith to see that Jesus Christ died for us. Now, what we have here is a complaining frenzy. They're caught up in it. Complaining spreads quicker than anything I know. Have, haven't you been caught up in a complaining frenzy at work? Every, you thought everything was going okay until so-and-so sat down with you at break and began to tell you that all the decisions the boss was making was going to ruin everything. And he was, he was always telling you that, always telling you that. And before long, you began to focus on that the boss didn't know what he was doing. And before long, it catches on. And it spreads like a wildfire. Happens all the time, doesn't it? Have you ever had the, ex the experience that you thought pretty well of some old fella? You've had good experiences with him. You've had good relations with him. Uh, perhaps it's a business interest or something like that. And, and perhaps it's a situation where uh, they always took care of business and did what they said they were going to do. And, and you meet someone or someone says, have you ever used that person's services? And, and you said, yeah, I have. Boy, they sure messed me over. Really? What happened? They tell you what happened. And then all of a sudden, you go from thinking well of someone, and now you're suspicious of them. And it's, it's, a, it's a complaining becomes very evangelical. It spreads. It just saturates an environment. Imagine a gospel frenzy. 
Imagine what would happen in your world, in our world, if God's people were not caught up in a complaining frenzy, a griping frenzy, a slander frenzy, a gossip frenzy perhaps, but imagine a gospel frenzy. Imagine how it would change things. Imagine how it would change this situation if Sheba would have stood up if he had blown the ram's horn and got all of Israel's attention and said, we must remember the prophets. We must remember what we've all been taught from day one. That through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the world will be blessed. God has appointed David to be our king. It's obvious. He, 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 has, been, he has been placed as our king. He is the one that we must follow. He is the one that we must be loyal to. We made a mistake. We believed Absalom wrongly. We should not have listened to Absalom. We should have seen that he did not have pure motives. We should have seen that he was just self-obsessed with, with things. We should have seen through this, we made a mistake, David. Please forgive us. We are going to be loyal to you and to your reign. By doing that, they would have been acknowledging God's hand. They would have been acknowledging God's plans. Imagine how that would have changed the witness, the power, the life in the nation of Judah and Israel as they become one and unite under the banner of Israel. It would have been a different situation altogether. It would have been different for Sheba. For, 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 first of all, it would have been completely different for Sheba. And, and what a difference it would make in our personal lives, in our family, in our church family, in, in our relationships, if we were people of a gospel frenzy. Instead of dwelling on the bad in people, we dwelled on faith, hope, and love. Instead of dwelling on the negative things in life, we dwelt on faith, hope, and love. Instead of dwelling on the evil that's in the world, our focus, our passion was on faith, hope, and love. Instead of uh, focusing on where people are and the condition of people and how far they have to go to where they need to be, we focused on faith, hope, and love. Instead of dwelling on the struggle that's in all of us. Instead of dwelling on what man can't do, we focus on what God can do. It changes the whole viewpoint we have of life. And it, get, it elevates our, our thoughts. It elevates our, our, uh, our attitude. A gospel Frenzy. The gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And whosoever believes on him has eternal life. For by grace we've been faith through we have been saved by faith, not through works, lest any should boast. God's love is everlasting. 
His love is always present. A gospel frenzy. How about it? Think about your situation. You might lean towards complaining. You might lean towards worrying. You might lean towards uh, focusing on the evil of people, the bad in people, the negative in the world. You might focus on what people don't do rather than what God could do through people. And it would, it would change your whole world. You having a good day today? Well, if you look at my day today, and you look on what's gone wrong and what's, what's happened today, I would answer that question. I'd say, no, I'm not having a particular good day. However, because God is on his throne and Jesus is at his right hand and Jesus paid the price of my sin on the cross of Calvary, it is a wonderful day. And by the way, tomorrow is going to be a wonderful day because God is still going to be on his throne tomorrow and Jesus is still going to be at his right hand and my sins are still going to be completely paid tomorrow. And so I have nothing but optimism. I have nothing but faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Now, the power of God is through the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us that. It says the dynamite of God is the good news of Jesus Christ. For everyone who believes, even the Jews, even the Greeks... And so, from that aspect, literally, in conflict, in division, in a crisis, becoming part of a gospel frenzy is the only way to access the power of God. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. The gospel. Faith, hope, and love. Gospel frenzy. Gospel frenzy. Let's start that today. Every single one of us. We may not have any answers. We may not have any possibilities. But what we have is God. And so our perspective is in his hands. Faith, hope, and love. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, help us to learn from the mistake Sheba made. Help us to learn from the division that took place here between Israel and Judah and God, if we're in a conflict, help us to learn from David to make those good decisions that show a foundation of faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forth.